1: High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota!
0: That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're gonna get. They're gonna get energy, they're gonna get accountability, they're gonna get structure, and they're gonna get support. And I'm gonna bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly.
2: It takes hard work uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're gonna get where we hope and intend to go.
1: You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to episode 189 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 189 doubles for the 1891 Giants. What are your top five doubles hit by the 1891
3: Giants? Uh, Well, I would start with um, the great-great-grandfather of Gene Segura. Um, (laughs) that is a very inside joke that's an extremely inside joke that is a deep Um, cut see now I have to explain it that's the problem with inside (laughs) jokes last year in Philadelphia Gene Segura hit like his 200th career double and they like stopped the game they put him on the scoreboard he doffed his helmet to the crowd and all of us in the press box are going like what? What's <laughs> happening here? This is his 200th career double? So like Alex Pavlovich, who's just a wonder at social media, like took the scoreboard and he'll use it in all sorts of different references. He's put Kerry Crowley up there. He's done all kinds of things. So yeah, whenever I think I think monumental doubles, I think Gene Segura. That's just the way my brain is wired now. But uh, I, I, I really don't have a, a legit answer to your question, uh, although I, I guess I will have to throw it back to you and ask what your favorite double of the 18 whatever giants were.
2: Well, first off, I have to just say, whenever Alex makes that reference. I'm like Lucille Bluth when she sees Gene Parmesan and just like claps and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he makes yes. that joke, it's the funniest fricking thing in the world to me. Um, <laughs> So the 1890s, that was too early before, like in the 1910s, you would start getting names that are like, you know, uh, Buff Bufferson, or you know, the funny names are a little bit later. But what I like about the 1890s, are that you will have on baseball reference, names with a question mark after, because they're just not sure. You have Lou Whistler? Because they were never able to confirm if his name was actually Lou Whistler. So I don't know. I just I love going back on baseball reference. They did have Jack Glasscock and Dick Buckley. So, you know, it's not a total waste, but we're not here to talk about the 1891 New York Giants. We're here to talk about the 2022 Giants and they're doing some goofy stuff. It's uh, what was your column like about the seventh inning of that second game in the Met series, how thick were you going to lay on the doom and
0: or gloom?
3: Mm, well, um, we will never know the answer to that question. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say that I, I'm, I'm really sorry that, uh, that those guys in the 1890s with those names had to play without antibiotics. That must have been very rough on them <laughs> personally and professionally. Um, yeah, right? But uh, yeah, you know, it's I, th- what we do in this job is it's not that we root for the team to win or to lose. We just root for them to not be boring. Just don't be boring. And you know, if, if they were going to lose, uh, like they were, like they had fallen behind after that Tyler Rogers catastrophe inning, uh, against the Mets on, uh, Tuesday, I thought. Well, at least this one will be an interesting loss. I mean, this is we can really delve into the the lunacy of that inning, and uh, and and get back into a little bit of what you wrote about uh, just that morning, which was, hey, you know, that the the data says that the Giants should be getting more outs than they actually are. They're doing a lot of things right from a pitching standpoint, and they aren't necessarily being rewarded and they might be a little bit unlucky and this was just like you know basically oh here's grant the warlock again you know pre-writing exactly what happens um and it happens to tyler rogers more than anybody so i thought okay well at least i can write about that and delve into that and then of course we had more jock and more jock and more jock and it was (laughs) one of the greatest giants games i think i've ever seen and probably most fans have ever seen so um it, it it will be known as the jock peterson game and so you know couldn't really write about tyler rogers when it's the jock peterson game but yeah what definitely one of the one of the greatest games i think i've ever seen and then you get the story from jock about how he talked to barry bonds all the way up until 15 minutes before the game and wasn't really wearing any pants at that time so kind of had to get ready really fast and then he went out and had one of the greatest offensive days by a giant in history so that was kind of my my journey through that day what was yours It was a very, very strange game to watch on on multiple levels. Um, It was
2: hard to to necessarily care about baseball. Uh, At the same time, it really was like the greatest game I think I've ever seen. The only thing that compared uh, for me was game five of the 2017 World Series. But that, in retrospect, uh, it was diminished because the Astros were – they knew it was coming, which is uh kind of funny. But it, it diminishes the actual great baseball. Um uh, This was just tremendous. I don't know if it's tremendous baseball. It was a lot of baseball. It was just so much baseball. And when I wrote about the pitching maybe not getting as many outs as they should, there's a fine line because I don't just want to say, yep, see, so it's bad luck because c- c- that's just so dippy. It's just it- – it's really it- – I don't know. It- it's outdated – we don't know if it's just bad luck. We just have to say, this is weird. Maybe there's a reason. And that night, it just kept happening. It kept happening to Logan Webb. It kept happening to Tyler Rogers uh, times 100. And it was just it was maddening to watch. But when the Giants came back, it started happening for them, too. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird season in a lot of respects. But I just don't know what to make of it. I just am happy to
3: watch that much baseball in a concentrated format because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and then obviously, uh, you know, Jock Peterson starts against a lefty the next day and hits another home run. And, and the Giants win pretty easily uh, without without any comebacks from the Mets this time. A little more conventional uh, win when you score nine runs. And they won a series against a team with a winning record, a team that's leading the division that, that's a really good baseball team. And entering that series, you know, as we talked about, they were not very good against teams with winning records. So, yeah, I think that was a good series for them on, on multiple levels. They're going to get some pieces back uh, as they start this road trip. Kirk Gasali is probably coming back on uh, Saturday. Jake McGee looks like he's figured some things out. He said he lengthened his stride a little bit. And he's getting more carry with his fastball again, and he's coming back uh, very soon. So, you know, and, and obviously... Um, News is not as good with Lamont Way Jr., who's now, uh, as Susan Slusser reported, getting regular injections of some sort of synthetic something or other in his knee, uh, which is not good to hear yeah. about, and he's going to be down for a couple of weeks, and, um, and they hope they get Brandon Bell back soon, but, but for now... It's a serious win against a really good team, and uh, uh, didn't necessarily do it in a in a boring conventional sense, and and um, it was certainly entertaining. So could Barry Bonds talk to say other people
2: on the Giants? (laughs) (laughs) I'm fascinated by this story because uh, Peterson, Jock Peterson, was saying you know wasn't he didn't say you know uh, do this with your stance or get get a little bit more open. It was more of a mental mindset, and that's fascinating to me because. That is the most underrated part of Bonds' game, especially if you weren't watching all of those at-bats. When he was up and he would get one pitch to hit a game, the concentration, the just the focus that it took to be ready for that one pitch... Man, I get that he had some better living through through chemistry, but that was the really special part about Bonds. How do you convey that to someone else? I just did did Jock go into details, or was it kept pretty vague?
3: Uh, It was mostly pretty vague, but it was was just how to be ready um, for each pitch and take each moment and separate it from everything that came before or after, good or bad, and just to stay locked in. And he said, you know, there are times he's hit two homers in a game, and he's come up and had a chance to hit a third. And he's thinking about it. He's thinking about you know hitting uh, that third home run, and he gets out of his game, or he swings at a pitch he shouldn't swing at, or he takes a swing uh, on a pitch in a location that he he shouldn't uh, he wouldn't have taken if he wasn't trying for a homer, and 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 he you know, rolls it over and makes an out. And uh, and he said this time he just took every every pitch independently. And I guess if. You can't try to hit your third homer of the game if you're treating it like it's your first at bat of the game, right? So um, that that seemed to be something that clicked with him uh, that he talked about specifically. Um, but, you know, he's, he's worked a lot. He's been pretty subdued. I know in the clubhouse he's a different guy. And he's uh, kind of a jokester, um, you know. Logan Webb called him a clown in the clubhouse. And we know that Brandon Crawford gets along great with him. And uh, but he's at least when we see him, he's very different. He's he's very subdued. Um, he's he's kind of you you might describe it describe him as kind of low energy a little bit. But um, you know, I I, and I think he really has done a lot of work on his mental preparation and uh, and what it takes for him to you know be as quiet as possible in those moments where he has to focus and. Obviously, he's he's been good at it throughout his career. He wouldn't he wouldn't be um, someone who has been a postseason hero in multiple postseasons without being able to meet those big moments. Uh, but yeah, it it is a skill. It's a special skill. I think it's something that is obviously very very difficult to quantify, um, uh, and and probably very very difficult to teach. And and Barry Bonds is is probably. Uh, the the perfect human being on this planet to, to help someone like Jock Peterson, who's already good at that, uh, become even better at it.
2: Yeah, I am fascinated. I mean, we are in teeny tiny samples territory, but he also took two walks uh, yesterday and he did not strike out, which is... I want to see how this focus is how sticky it is if it if going forward if he's able to just take every pitch in that pitch in the at bat um it's fascinating to me because uh, if you read Eno Saras today he talks about how there's there are no more fastball counts it, there is no more 3-1 you're sitting dead red and you're ready to go which almost makes every Two-strike pitch, the same thing as a first pitch of an at-bat or every first pitch, like a two-strike pitch. I mean, every baseball's just different. And so it's going to take that sort of focus for these hitters on every pitch. And I'm just fascinated to see if he can keep it going. And again, I'd
3: like to see Barry Bonds talk to everyone on the Giants. You know, it's weird to see the intersection with the manager in the, in the other dugout was Buck Showalter, the guy who once intentionally walked Barry Bonds with the bases loaded, right? And then he was <laughs> yep. the Diamondbacks manager. And they were not touching Jock Peterson on uh, on Wednesday. I mean, he was he was just lightning hot, especially after his first home run. So I, I I don't doubt that some of the walks were the Mets just being extra careful with him. But then he's got it, obviously. A tunnel into his zone and 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 not swing at pitches outside the zone. So so yeah, he was definitely a part of that, but I I'd imagine that the Mets were were probably pitching him as carefully as anyone's ever pitched him on on Thursday or on Wednesday.
2: And so the Giants now they are uh this is a very confusing team, right? Because they are over 500. They have a, a winning record. They have the same record as the Cardinals. They're doing better than uh the Orioles and the White Sox than a lot of these teams that were expected to contend. But it feels like they are almost 500. Is it it just me or do they feel like... I don't know. They're underwhelming or they are uh, going below expectations. Is it because of the 107 wins? Am I just making this up? It just feels like there's always something for Giants Twitter to grumble about. And I look up and they're second in the world in runs per game. Uh, their pitching does need to allow fewer runs, but, um, you know, the injuries are all over the place and yet they're still doing pretty good things. I mean, what do you make of this team?
3: Well, it definitely feels like in the last couple of weeks, I think ever since uh, the came back from the road trip uh, that ended in Washington, uh, they've been kind of uh, two steps forward, two steps back kind of a team. And, and you know, they've probably played about 500 baseball since then. So, um, yeah, they, they get somebody back off the injured list and then they go right back on or, or, or you know, they get the t- whole team together for one day in Colorado and then they lose some more pieces. Um, you know, there, there was definitely a little disjointed period there where you know they were uh, they were giving up uh, two runs and scoring one, or they were you know giving up uh, seven runs and scoring six, and and it just it just seemed like they were a little out of sync as a team. And um, obviously the defense has has not been good. They have not been a very good defensive team at all this year. I don't have you know metrics in front of me, but I do have eyes that work. And um, <laughs> yeah, they they both in the outfield and in the infield um it, it's it's been a little bit of a, of a problem I think Joey Bard has done a good job behind the plate I, I really do I really am surprised by just how well he's been able to you know keep a, a good attitude I know it's been frustrating for him at the plate um but uh, I don't think his defense is is part of this at all I think he's been really really good um and I think he's called some pretty good pitches and handled the staff fairly well um it it seemed like uh uh with with uh, with Kirk Casale behind the plate the, the game seems like they're they're in control a little bit better that with Papierski behind the plate it seemed like they were they're getting out of sync pretty fast um, and we'll see we'll see what happens when Kirk Casale comes off the injured list probably on on Saturday uh, if if they would even consider uh, uh, sending down Joey Bart I don't think so but um, you know. Uh, I guess I'm going off on a tangent now, but I think they just sort of seem like a team that hasn't really gotten clicking yet. And um, maybe this road trip will be an opportunity for them to do that.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
0: The defense is
2: fascinating because I I don't think the Giants are necessarily surprised uh, with the personnel they have. They were never going to have, uh, you know, Dwayne Murphy out there running around and winning gold gloves. Uh, They have their best defensive outfielders when they're healthy. You have Mike Yastrzemski, who's probably gold gold glove caliber in right, a little bit overextended in center. Uh, You have Austin Slater, who is very good in a corner, probably overextended in center. And then you have a a bunch of guys who are DH-adjacent players. And I'm including Luis Gonzalez in that. Uh, He has a strong arm, but he is uh, a little bit rough as far as uh, his range and reads and all that good stuff. And I have this wacky theory that with fewer balls going out and a dead ball, that there are just more the the outfielders are expected to do a little bit more. And right now this outfield just doesn't seem like they are capable of doing a whole lot more. And I don't think every ball is going to be Darren Ruff falling into the stands. That's just that, like, the perfectly placed. But the outfield defense is a concern.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think it is, especially when you have a staff that you know has that puts the ball in play. And um, you know, they, the Giants are are really good at ground ball rate. Uh, I think it's probably more important that they play tight on the infield. Um, but even someone like Tyler, Tyro Estrada, I mean, he's he's made some nice plays. I think you would say he's he's an above average defender. But the metrics don't like him. And there are times when he plays a little bit deeper, and you know he, he'll maybe he needs to take another step or two in. Uh, and and he's uh, uh, there were a couple balls in the Mets series where you know the Giants were uh, coaches were telling him, look, you know well, you need to charge that or you need to uh, play a little bit more in and. Um, because yeah, a lot of these guys can run and get down the line, so you know there's there's room for improvement pretty much all around the field. I think defensively, um, the, there, there's there's this thought within the game that you know you can coach up uh, defense, you can coach up people with limited range, but you know you, you got to be sure-handed. You got to make the plays you're supposed to make, and they work a lot on that. They use that little red machine, you know, to to get guys to really train their eyes and, and train their skills to deal with spin and hops and stuff like that. Um so, you know, I, I think that they they have a plan and they have processes in place to try to coach up defensive ability. But you know, when you get down to it, this, this is not a team that's got a lot of premium defenders, and uh, and that's pretty apparent when you watch them. And it feels like there was a trend not that long ago
2: where everyone was defense, 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 and you had, uh, you know, the rise of Kevin Kiermeier and and Kevin Pillar, and, and you, what you wanted was this ultra rangy center fielder, and every team needed to have one. The Giants don't have that in their system. I mean, the closest they get is Stephen Duggar, uh, but he's he's a pretty solid center fielder, um, but he's not a uh, gold glove caliber center fielder. Is that, are the Giants, is this a kind of a um, organizational ethos where they are not going to worry so much about the outfield defense that they thought that that era of baseball was a little bit overrated and they're almost going back to the Moneyball era where uh, you have Ron Washington saying it's incredibly hard and you have the GM going, no, 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 it's not that hard. Uh, it feels like this is almost a little bit of a throwback to the early sabermetric days.
3: Yeah, maybe. I think it's probably for me, I see it as more of a, we're not going to make concessions to our offense to put somebody who's a better defender out there. I mean, we're going to go with with the the person who is going to be more productive for us offensively. And if they are defensively deficient compared to another option, then we're just going to have to you know coach that person up and 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 try to position them better and try to you know enhance their skills that they do have to make them better. And uh, you know, I I think that defense is just not as much of a priority as what someone can do. In the lineup, uh, so you know, and if you have a player like a Mookie Betts, who's a tremendous defender and also a tremendous offensive player, hey, that's great. You know, get yeah. me a whole bunch of those guys, and um, you know, but that's why they make you know two hundred, three hundred million dollars, uh, and there aren't many of them around the game. And and when you, you can find one, you keep them. So um, yeah, you know, the Giants don't really have a, a lot of players like that, and um, uh, you know, they they use the, the collaborative approach, they platoon a lot, and um, you know, they they go for matchups. And and I think that's that's how they put that's how they put the uh, lineup together on a daily basis. And then uh, defensively, it, it sort of is what it is. I will say that the idea makes sense to me that you're going to go
2: for offense first because in the modern game, you are expecting a, a strikeout per inning. I mean, the Giants have a slightly below league average strikeout rate as a pitching staff. That's still 8.5 strikeouts per nine innings. So. One out every inning is going to be taken care of where the fielders can, you know, be sitting on their gloves. And so with the with the Giants going offense first, I think that's very sound. The only problem is when it doesn't work, the optics are just not great. And Darren Ruff not getting that ball when he almost any other outfielder would have had that ball, and then he tumbles into the stands. I think he's better than like the worst corner outfielder that you've ever seen. I don't think he is appalling out there, but when it doesn't work and it looks like that,
3: it's such an easy bone to pick with the roster. Uh, you just gave him the worst backhanded compliment in the history of the English language.
2: Listen, I'm a, well, gi- I'm not... a gi- I am
3: I do not think he's the worst outfielder I've ever seen. Well good for you Darren Goldstar
2: Listen, listen, this. I am a Giants observer and analyst I have watched Michael Morse and Pat Burl. I have watched Barry Bonds into his 40s Friend, I have watched Travis Ishikawa. Like there is a rich history of people clomping around in left field just in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So its I didn't mean to backhand compliment him that backhandedly, but at the same time, you know what I mean? He's, he, he's not very
3: good, but he's not the worst. Aubrey Huff was such a good outfielder that oh they put gosh. down a, a, a chalk line... <laughs> chalk line in the outfield after he tumbled at Dodger Stadium so um, yeah it's uh, the Giants have definitely sort of made this sort of devil's bargain a lot with with putting someone in left field who's not very good defensively um, and, it works I guess you know and, yeah it, it really has worked I mean you know when, when Melky Cabrera was out there he was pretty good when, uh, when Austin Slater's out there he's pretty good um, uh, it's better than pretty good uh, really good in, in a corner uh, and pretty good in center field too, but um, but he's obviously not an option for them right now. And um, while well, he's on the injured list with the wrist injury, uh, but yeah, you know it's it's you know I, I think that this team probably just has to pitch a little bit better and, and make the plays that they should make. And you know that that's what they did mostly last year, and, and they won 107 games doing that. So I think that they still feel pretty good about you know hey look the 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 catch that we may make that has a catch probability of you know um, what. you know, there aren't that many balls that you really do make plays on uh, that, that an average defender won't make, that an above average defender will. So they'll take the marginal gains there and they'll compare it to the marginal gains of having someone who. You know, has an on-base percentage that's, you know, 60 points higher and a slugging percentage that's 40 points higher. And they'll say, give me that. Give me give me four plate appearances of that. And, and we'll live with not having the marginal gains on defense. But you got to make the plays you're supposed to make. And, and that hasn't been happening with a lot of consistency. Now, you are not in Cincinnati, correct? I am not. I am not in Cincinnati. I am in Philadelphia. I make all of my road trip decisions based on the culinary value of each city. And so Cincinnati is an easy skip for me.
2: This is why I was getting into it, because generally Cincinnati is not, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons, I think. It's just a, it's not a giant's rival. The series generally don't have a, a ton of importance. But uh, you have made this joke before. And so every year I'm thinking, this is the year I'm going to ask to take your place in cincinnati because i really want to try skyline chili and i want to know a have you tried it and b what's
3: it like so i did try it i actually did i tried it um oh maybe 15 years ago so i think the problem is it's mislabeled it's called chili but it doesn't taste like chili it tastes more like like I don't know. It's It's, almost like I mean, it kind of tastes a little bit like mole, you know, mole sauce Mm. where it's got a little cinnamon and a little chocolate in it, except a much worse version of it (laughs) because it's also got like like these tiny little beans in it and and like meat that looks like it's mechanically separated. And yeah, it it just it kind of looks like vomit to be honest. Um, So it's just not appealing. It's not appealing. It's not what you're expecting either. I mean, the the taste is not as bad as as the worst thing I've... It's not the Darren Ruff left fielder of, of, of foods, I guess. <laughs> but I, I hate to be picking on Darren Ruff here. I, I'm sorry, Darren, if you're listening. If anybody in the greater Omaha area is listening, I do apologize. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just... It's not what you're expecting in a bad way, you know? So... Um, so yeah, I just steer clear.
2: No, and I'm upset with myself because I really am fascinated by it. And I want to try it because I generally like every food. And so I want to be the guy who says, it's not that bad, or actually, I enjoy it. But when I was in St. Louis, I did not try St. Louis style pizza, which I know you're a fan of. And the reason I didn't is because <laughs> around fan the in or- air quotes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm around a fan of th- making fun of it.
2: Yeah, no, it does come up a lot. And I'm fascinated with this too. And around the corner from my hotel was a place that's specialized in St. Louis style pizza. And And I didn't go because it got like two stars on Yelp. And what I realized when I came home is that they all get two stars on Yelp. And uh, I'm really upset that I didn't get to try that. So if you had to choose a meal right now would it be skyline chili or
3: St. Louis style pizza? I would just go for the toasted raviolis. Can I go off the board? They're they're not bad. They're okay. They're kind of like oh, they're kind of like raviolis. Totino's pizza rolls with like an extra like layer of deep fried whatever around it. So yeah, they're they're not bad. I'll 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 just go off the board and say toasted raviolis.
2: All right, that's fair. Those are good. All right, but uh, you know, before we go, I did want to. This is changing gears in a, a very. Uh, unsubtle way, but I did want to talk to you about your Logan Webb article because uh, it was, or feature, it was fantastic and it was really richly reported and it was heartbreaking and it really stunned me because when I hear, um, oh, a drug overdose, your mind is like, my mind at least is stuck in the eighties where you, or the nineties or just in the past where, uh, drug overdoses mean a very specific thing and, and they happen to very specific people and that was one of the most important parts about your article is that no this is different this is this is a different kind of reality that people are facing right now
3: yeah no thanks and and it is a tough tough thing to segue to um i mean that that whole day uh you know tuesday and obviously it ended with one of the greatest giants games we've ever seen but I mean, it was it. What an awful day, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd been working on this story for about two months. You know, obviously, it's uh, it's if it's something that that affected me mentally, working on it and kind of absorbing the pain of, of, of interviewing people and asking them to relive the worst day of their life, um, then you know, I can only imagine what it what it was like to actually experience it firsthand. Um, so you know, it was. Uh, I think there was. I, I was just really relieved that you know it finally was finished and that we finally uh, you know, put it out there. Um, and, and then obviously what happened in Texas happened and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's, 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 it's hard to live in this world right now and, and be filled with optimism or, or hope sometimes. And, um, you know, or, or ha- find a resolve to change the things that you don't agree with or, or, or make a difference. And, and I think what, what, um, you know, I, I had heard about what happened because I know some people out in that area and, um, I had just mentioned it to, to Logan after I had an interview with him in spring training and uh, and just said, you know, hey, I, I did hear about what happened with your cousin? I just wanted to send my condolences to you, and um, and he immediately was like, you know, we got to do something. This this has to change. Um, this is out of control. And um, I said, well, I, I, I do happen to be a sports writer. We can write a story on it if you want. And and uh, and and his family was all on board. And, and I talked to so many people in his family. A really really strong, really close family. And um, you know, it's someone in the comments of the story uh, made a good. Um, uh, made a good point they said you know what it, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, background uh, someone has who, who dies of a drug overdose or, or fentanyl poisoning um, they, they're all worthy of of our understanding and um, and our our empathy and and I, I totally agree with that um, but I do think that there there does have to be some understanding of what's happening here because it's very easy for us to just go mentally shortcut to oh, overdose irresponsible despondent had nothing to live for you know uh, but and, and that's just not the case. The kid was had just bought a new sport coat to wear to his cousin's wedding. It was literally in 48 hours. He was super excited for it. He was playing golf the next day. He, he was going to have a, a, his first baby girl in a month. And, and uh, you know, I, I dealing with a lot of the stresses of life and how are you going to provide for this kid who's on the way. And, you know, it's uh, it's you know, he was looking just to medicate some anxiety there and um, thought he was taking a Percocet and ended up having... Fentanyl in it because it was a counterfeit pill, and and you know, he dies in the bathroom of a grocery store. It's awful, you know, um, and uh, and this family is has a hole in it now that, that won't ever be filled. And and there's way way too many families out there uh, who are dealing with something similar. And you know, I think it's 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 one of those deals where it's so easy just to default to statistics. And well, it's a, it's a statistic, and and you don't get emotionally involved. You don't really you don't really absorb what's happening, and so. Uh, you know, I thought it was probably important that, you know, I, I try to give you a picture of just who this kid was and, and what what his life was like and what he meant to people, and um, and then you understand what the loss is. You you understand that this is the loss of a person who, who meant a lot to to um, to the people who loved him, and 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 they don't have they don't have. Uh, the, him to in their lives anymore. Uh, there's a little girl who who will never know her father, and it's um, it's heartbreaking. But I, I I think that unless we really sort of empathize with people on a personal level who have experienced this, um, then you know it's uh, it, it's hard to really call for change um, until you can really I guess connect with it on a personal level. And and you know in terms of what happens to us in terms of the politics, in terms of the, the the legal system, in terms of, you know, there are people in the comments who are just like, see, this is why we can't have open borders. It's like, you know, there, there are a lot of ways you can be super reductive and say, well, here I am. I've got the solution to this. It's just, you know, uh, vote for these politicians or or have these policies. It's like, no, <laughs> this is systemic on on a whole whole deeper level. And um, it's something that the, it starts with awareness and, and you know, knowing, what what your risks are because it's it's you know there are a lot of recreational drug users out there who are you know dropping dead <laughs> and they don't I mean that's why I don't call it an overdose because they never sign up for 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 a dose of fentanyl in any in any amount uh, they they think they're taking something you know, that that's you know not dangerous and and they're dying and it's you know it's it's something that. Something that ripped this family apart. So you know, I, I really just appreciate the uh, Logan Webb wanting to make a change, and and um, and his family for for just being super super brave and 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 just pouring out so much of their raw emotion uh, because a story like this doesn't happen uh, without that. And it, it is the awareness that for me is, I mean, it's why they wanted
2: to do it. But it's something that I wasn't expecting <clears throat> to, to have so many takeaways from it that I needed. Uh, I, I would like to think of myself as, oh, wizened. And, you know, I I had my younger days, wink, wink. No, this is nothing that I experienced when I was, you know, when I was doing recreational things. It was, oh, man, what if- if this is laced with something that makes you feel different, or or what if this is that and you have a bad trip, you know, like that sort of stuff was the fear. It was never whoops, and you don't get you get one mistake, you don't get you don't get. It's one striking, you're out. It is just it, it's a kind of. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people know that I just, it's just so different from anything that I've experienced. And if I think that I'm experienced, no, this is a very different. So Logan Webb's cousin, Cade, uh, he was not despondent. Like you're saying, he was looking for, uh, just a little bit of, uh, to take the edge off or whatever you're doing as a recreational drug user. And it's, it should not be. Uh, these consequences are outsized and they're not anything that I had to deal with or most of us had to deal with. So awareness is the key here.
3: Yeah. And you know, the one analogy that, that we sort of came up with together, Kurt Webb, uh, Cade's father and I were just sort of talking and it occurred to me, I said, you know, it, it's almost like you, you're going to have people out there who, who are going to blame drug users and say, well, you know, if, if you didn't want to drown, you shouldn't get in the water. Right. And, and I, I mean, that's true on some level, um, on a basic level. But you know, imagine you're in the water and you're in a protected bay and you're splashing around with your friends and you have no, um, you know, you, reason, you have a reasonable assumption of safety, uh, and then a tsunami hits you, a freak thing hits you, and you never saw it coming. And that's kind of what fentanyl is. It's just there's there's no, uh, you, you just got to be aware. You know, it's it's uh, that that this is this is a, a danger that didn't exist before that exists now. And um, I guess it starts with with awareness and, and hopefully um you know some people read the story and 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 that awareness helps to maybe save a life or two thank you for writing it. it was a tremendous story i encourage everyone to go and read it if you haven't
2: already uh we are out of time so this has been episode 189 of the bags and brisbee podcast thank you so much for listening so we will be back next thursday so a week's worth of baseball we'll figure out what happened and see you then